0: All right. Good evening, everyone. It is the top of the hour. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Paul Battaglia about learning targets, how clarity drives understanding. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one It's like we have quite a few new people joining us tonight but I also recognize some familiar names in our list of attendees as well so feel free to share your Twitter handle is your Twitter handle is if you have one, what you teach and where you teach. All right. Before I introduce our uh, speaker, let me tell you a little bit about how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within twenty four hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you would use the same link you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. Uh, Tonight, our speaker is Paul Battaglia. Uh, Paul has been a classroom teacher for nearly 25 years. He has extensive experience with all levels of high school mathematics, most notably his work with AP Calculus, AB and BC. Paul is a co-author on numerous titles with Ron Larson including Calculus for AP, Precalculus with Limits and Precalculus with Limits, a graphing approach. Additionally, Paul has spoken at numerous local and national conferences and worked with schools across the country. His current research interests include rigor and relevance in mathematics as well as standard-based grading. Paul is married to Janice and has four children and um, he asked me uh, before he presents it tonight if it was okay to sit here in a sweatshirt and I said yes, absolutely, especially since it is 9 p.m. Uh, where we are at right now and you uh, need to be comfortable at 9 p.m. at night. So take That's it. it. <laughs> yep, take it away, Paul.
1: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Lee, and thank you to all those who are joining us. I'm, I'm looking at all everywhere from Nova Scotia, to Oregon, Arkansas. Um, quick little background. Also, I'm here in New Jersey uh, via Nashville. I used to live in Tennessee for a couple of years, <clears throat> so really enjoyed our time there. And as uh, Lee said, my current interests really, really surround rigor and relevance in the classroom, but as well standards-based grading. And I'll actually weave a little bit of that into our talk tonight and try to make this as interactive as we can. So please participate when we have a chat or a poll or a question, feel free to chime in. Um, what we do know is that when we have these types of meetings, webinars and such, that there's a vast amount of experience over the bandwidth. And so we wanna take advantage of that tonight and uh, and hopefully everybody walks away, myself included, with, uh, with something they can take back with them. Um, so as Lee said, <clears throat> I am still a classroom teacher. Uh, and in fact, right now, not only am I teaching AP calculus, but I actually have Um, Algebra 2 and Algebra 1 classes. So there's a wide spectrum of students and abilities that I think I can speak to, especially this year. I'm also speaking um, from the standpoint of a school that was uh, clearly we were all impacted by COVID, but um, this school in particular um, is really learning to get back into, I guess, what we would call a routine. So um, one of my focuses this year has truly been learning targets and having students really focus on learning for learning's sake, is probably the best way to say it, instead of worrying about the number, the grade, all of that kind of stuff. So as we get into it tonight, I think I'm going to start with a a personal story. And this is my daughter. And uh, when my daughter Gabby was in seventh grade, um, like most parents, I would think, uh, we had a typical conversation and the conversation went towards, what are you learning in school? What are you learning in math? Right. And I don't just ask her what she's learning in math, but that was that was the one that stuck out to me. And um, what was really interesting is she couldn't tell me. And many of you may have faced the same dynamic. Um, our children come home, our own children, or our, our relatives' nieces, nephews, friends' kids, whatever, and, and we say, you know, what are you what are you doing in math right now? And they can't tell you. Or even with my own students, uh, I, I tutored. As a matter of fact, today I, I, I tutored at our school. So um, we have these extra help sessions for any student in math. And so I happened to be the person that was tutoring. And uh, I went over to a student who I don't have. And I said, what are you learning? And they said, "Um, I don't know, which is a typical response. And so part of that is driven, in my opinion, by the lack of um, understanding on both the teacher and the student part of how important a learning target really is. And how not only do we have to introduce them into our classrooms, but we have to introduce them with tremendous clarity and with tremendous intention. And I think that's really the focus tonight. So when I asked Gabby, what are you learning? And and obviously she couldn't tell me, I I had to dig a little deeper. So I said, well, why don't you show me what you're doing? And she did. And I said, okay, well, what is this called? And she said, "Mm, I don't know. And I said, okay, well, why don't you show me an example of a problem that you're going to do in your homework or something. So she started it and I said, Oh, it, you know, it looks like you, you know what you're doing here. And she said, Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. And I said, well, what are you doing? And so she said, I don't know. And so we can go round and round, but you understand. So she couldn't explain to me the topic. She couldn't explain to me what it was she was trying to achieve. All she knew was a procedure. And I don't know if any of you have had this, um, experience before. I'm sure most of you have at some point. But this is what we're trying to get away from, right? We're trying to get students to understand the value of what it is they're learning. But how can we do that if if they don't know what it is they're they're reaching for, what their goal is, right? So <clears throat> the way I kind of interpreted that is that she really wasn't learning at all. What she was doing is what I like to call play school. And Gabby's always been good at playing school since she was a little girl because she and still wants to be a teacher, but she would always kind of literally play school with dolls or figurines or whatever it might be. Well, here she was in actuality in seventh grade playing school. And so we don't want that. And we have to figure out what it is we can do to kind of, you know, get away from that and move forward a little bit. So let's, let's kind of look a little bit about what a learning target is and what a learning target is not. And there's a tremendous amount of research on learning targets, learning objectives, Um, Let's start with some of the things that the learning target is not, right? So in the days of the old, uh, students will be able to, and we'll get back to that in a little bit. um, You know, a lot of times you will see, uh, and I know we have some administrators on here, you'll see that this is something that an administrator really, really wants you to write either on the board or in your notes or a packet that you might give out to students. And that's great and that's wonderful. But you have to remember, right? We have a lot of students here who are seeing some of these things for the very first time. And so when I write on the board, students will, if I were to write on the board, students will be able to um, solve a system of equations by eliminations. You know, there's a lot to unpack there for a 12, 13, 14 year old student, right? So a learning target is not just posting an objective. Um, a learning target is also not an activity. Now, that might be a mean to an end, but that itself is not a learning target. Learning targets should not be ambiguous. And they also should just not be the next thing that you happen to pick up from the table of contents in a book, right? So instead, what we want it to be is we want it to be a blueprint, not just for students, but for teachers, a map, if you will, right? We want this to be something that a student can look at and say, I am trying to reach this. I'm trying to get to this. And this is my intended goal, aka target, right? And I'm going to align this with some action steps. And we call those success criteria, right? So if I set a goal for myself, then I need to be able to say, well, how am I going to get there? How will I demonstrate to myself and to my teacher that I've mastered this? And so therefore, the target has to be specific. Like I said, it has to be intentional. It has to be deliberate. And it has to be appropriate for the student right um, and that's difficult for us to do because in in a class where we may have a, a very wide spectrum of ability we really have to hone in on what is the best um, target for this particular child and obviously that's what we mean when we when we meet, meet when we say um, we want to reach every kid right so take a quick look at that and just kind of digest for a little bit make sure you you kind of understand what we're trying to do right we're trying to map out a very clear Path um, of benchmarks that students can achieve, and hopefully getting them to a point where they hit that target. Now, what do we know? Well, we know that as we do this, there's going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be um, there are going to be moments of um, chaos, if you will. And that's why I have this slide. Um, But I think I think I want to draw your attention to kind of the way school works in terms of playing school concept. Uh, This is why I'm so interested right now in in rolling out standards-based So here we have a a gentleman who is uh, straddling these two uh, cliffs, let's say. And so in my opinion, what happens if we just ignore learning targets and we ignore objectives that are specific and detailed and intentional, then what happens is kids continue to play school. They don't really know if they're making progress. They obviously become more concerned with the grade or the number. And then, especially if you're at where we are now, which in my school we're like at the tail end of the first mind period, the mad scramble to just try and satisfy somebody. So it might be a parent, it might be a teacher, it might be a counselor. What do I have to do? What do I have to make up? What can I do just just to make you satisfied at this point? Not to mention the learning isn't happening, right? And so we'll get into that a little bit more. So that could be one aspect, or you could sleepwalking through school. And then why do I have this image? Because then the achievement gap just widens, right? You have students who um, know how to hit a learning target, know how to get a certain level, and they go for it. You have know, students who are just kind of doing what they're told. And then the achievement gap just widens and winds and winds, but yet somehow they progress to the next grade or they graduate, right? And so there's a lot to unpack there, but the reality is how can we do our part to to kind of stem some of that, or to turn the tide a little bit, and again, in my opinion, I think it goes back to setting a good learning target. So let's really let's really dive into it. Okay, here's a ball. Let's kind of click this right here. Wait for my slide to advance.
0: It seems to be lagging a little bit. Um, yeah, it's lagging, a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if if turning off. I know it's nice to have your webcam on, but um, it might be a good oh, idea to you turn go. off the web camera. If, if yeah, you want so. me to turn
1: it off a little bit? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah,
0: it might, that might uh, help with the speed a little bit. But then remember to sure. turn your microphone back on. <laughs>
1: okay. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. So thank you, everybody, as we're experiencing a little bit of technical difficulties. um, We're used to dealing with that as teachers and having a backup plan and rolling with uh, the the difficulties that arise. So Paul, you need to make sure your microphone is on. here. All right. So do you need to go go back? I
1: think we're having a lag on our end. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you need to go back to slide five? No,
1: we're good on this slide. We're good to go. I apologize. All right. No, we're good on six.
0: All right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Let's start off. We'll we'll start off with a poll here. I'm going to, I'm going to release this poll to everybody. So here's a good example of what I would consider the infamous uh, swobat, right? Students will be able to and so I want you to look, take a look at the poll and, and just a simple question, right, open-ended. How can we make this more targeted towards what we want our students to learn, right? Right now it just says students will be able to solve a system of equations in two variables and it doesn't really address something um, really, really important. So we'll get to that in a second. So let's just get some people to, to kind of throw some things out here. Well, how could we make this more targeted Right. Like I said before, we have students who might not know what a system of equations is. Think about, there we go. Great. There are a variety of ways to solve a system. Right. It needs success criteria. Awesome. Uh, What methods are the students using to solve the system? Great. As we continue to, to gather responses here, think about what this is doing for us, right? This statement is telling us what students are learning, okay? And that's that's vague. And as you can see in some of the responses that we're getting in, right, there's a lot of ways to go about that. And so the one thing that we're not specifying here, which you can already see from these responses, is we're not specifying how we're going to solve them. So we could say something like, students will be able to solve a system of equations by graphing, right? And that's a good start. And then here, oh, here's a great response. I love this here. Specify a purpose, right? Some kind of in order to or why, right? Think about why so many students either struggle with math or have kind of like a a, um, kind of a disassociation with math. And it's because of the why. The why is not there for them, right? So, we're hit, I love these responses. These are great. You're hitting. Everybody here is hitting on how we need to incorporate not just the what, but the why and the how, right? Why is this important to me? Why should I care as a student, right? And so instead, this is kind of just a general objective. So if we could do a lot of what we're seeing in the chat right now, if we could incorporate the why, what's the purpose, the how, what method are we going to use, right? then we can kind of really, really hone in on what we're expected to learn. Because if I was a student and you told me I was going to solve a system of equations so that I could um, analyze the relationship between two variables, find where they intersect, however you want to word that, um, so that I could um, apply it to a real-world scenario, right? If I was telling them I was going to solve a system of equations using elimination, these are things that now I I could set benchmarks for, criteria, Right? Can I solve a system of equations by elimination um, with very little manipulation involved? Do, am I ready to progress to the next level where maybe I have to change more than one thing in the problem? So these are really, really awesome, awesome answers here in the chat. And this is what we're looking for. So as we go forward, it's all about the why and the how added to the what. So let's look at a good learning target. Right? We just talked about what am I learning? Why should I care, right? How will I know if I've learned it? You'll notice that this is, it's kind of open, I guess is the best way to say this, right? Um, What that does is it allows you, the teacher, right? To now chart the course. And even that can be very, very open, right? Are we going to use choice boards? Are we going to use stations? How am I going to assess whether or not these students um, ha- are progressing towards this target? And so uh, clearly formative assessment is going to be the name of the game here initially, right? When you set these targets. But I, I love the fact that when you write a good learning target, it's open. And it leaves, it leaves the door open for teachers in the same school who teach the same Topic, but teach it to different kids. It allows them the freedom and flexibility to see what works for their kids. Um, I, I have three algebra two classes right now, and I can tell you already months in that for one particular class, choice boards don't work as well as I thought they would. But for the other two classes, they were really, really good. And for that one class, they need more of a station and kinesthetic approach. And the choices really weren't—they were overwhelming for my students, and so that really wasn't a good thing. So that's just me. So imagine another uh, teacher down the hallway, right, who has his or her own group of kids. They need to kind of realize, well, okay, once we've, you know, once we've decided what the learning targets are, how do we want to go about that, right? And that's that's a great thing about teaching, right? That's the great thing about being able to take ownership over this kind of stuff. So when you, when you craft a good learning target, I want you to ask yourself um, these questions. And I want you to think about, Let's use something I think is relatively simple. Let's think about um, the concept of slope, um, which is um, so rich and can really, you can really do a lot with it, right? Start with this. Ask yourself, what do you want your students to know? Now, whatever the driving force is behind that, whether it be curriculum standards, whether it be state standards, whether it be um, standardized testing uh, that, is, that is driving a certain thing, right? You have to think about what it is you want them to know, and then you really have to reflect on why it's important. We just had an articulation meeting a couple of days ago last week on Thursday, and this was a question that kept coming up. And there's some debate, which I'm sure you've had, right? There's heated debate. When you ask the question, why? um, A lot of times, I I know I've given the perception, I'm sure that I'm trying to rock the boat or I'm trying to just be challenging or a challenger, but what I'm really trying to drill down to is... Just because it's in the textbook, and again, I author textbook, but just because it's in there, right, is is it important to this group of kids, or is it important to the vertical spiral that we that we're looking at? Is it important to you know whatever we have as a as a as a structure in place in our school in our district? Uh, because if it's not, we might be able to have a richer experience somewhere else, right? Other questions you can ask yourself, right? So you've you've set out what you want them to know you've deemed it's important and you've been able to support that with some reasons. It's important because this will translate into higher math, right? Maybe they need this as a foundational topic or it's important because we have a lot of students who are really interested in engineering and it's a really heavy STEM topic, right? The question then we have to ask is can they learn it in another way? What does that mean? Okay. Well, I could sit up and lecture. I mean, obviously that's one way, right? Does this topic lend itself? Well, to something, let's say, like a flipped classroom approach. And any of you who've been doing this for a while know that not everything lends itself well to a flipped classroom approach. Um, So we can't just bank on that, but maybe that is appropriate for what we're doing. Again, you try things, you fail. You try things, you succeed. You figure out what really works. Um, I tried a jigsaw group situation. and, And those of you who aren't familiar with jigsaw groups, basically what I did was I had three different subtopics of something we were learning. And I, I thought personally that my students were at a good point where they could independently learn something on their own by watching like an Edpuzzle video that I had prepared with some embedded questions. Um, and then I thought that they would be able to then go take their information, share it with other groups, and basically teach each other at least initial concepts and initial stages of what we were talking about. Um, I found out 10 minutes into that, that we were clearly not ready for that. So at least I asked the question, can they learn it in another way? And how were they gonna do it? But it just turned out that that really wasn't, you know, the best thing for that group of students. So it's okay to take risks, um, as long as you're keeping these questions at, um, at the forefront. So let's talk about slope. Let's open the chat again here, okay? Let's, let's suppose that we, we were trying to write um, a good learning target that had to do with slope, right? Think about what you might want your students to know when it comes to slope. Let's throw some things in the chat. What might I want my students to know about slope? Let's see what we got here. Right? I want my students to know about slope. Let's think about that. What What can we contribute here? Do I want them to just know that it's, the rise over run on a graph? Is that all I care about? Maybe. All right. Am I looking to translate it? Who we got shy all of a sudden. All these great responses we had. I'm gonna break the ice here in a second if we don't have a response or two.
0: We've got some uh, responses in the chat, actually.
1: In the chat, you got it? Okay, let me see here. Let's go take a look. All right, for whatever reason, mine is just a lion.
0: Well, I can can read them off here. So uh,
1: slope
0: slope is context uh, and context is tied to units. It's the same along an entire line. Uh, We got proportional reasoning, rate of Hmm. change, uh, symbolic and graphical representations. What does it mean and why do we care related Hmm. to angles and degrees? Hmm. um, The fact that you can identify it in a table and on a graph. Lots of stuff there.
1: Yeah, these, yeah, there we go. There we go. And I'm, now I'm seeing it. Yeah, this is great. Awesome. Right. So if we identify what we want to know, and all of those are great, right? And now the decision becomes, how do I unpack that? And that's a lot of things. If I'm going to craft a learning target, there's going to be multiple targets here, right? One, one of them might have to do with uh, the geometric representation. Another one might have to do with the real-life representation, right? Um, another might have to do with <clears throat> the ratio So there's a lot of, you know, you see symbol and graphical representation. So there's a lot of different things that I might want my students to know. And so now I have to ask that question, can they learn it in a different way? And any of you who've had experience with things like Geogebra or Desmos knows that the answer to that is a resounding yes, right? I mean, do I want to intro this with an activity builder? Would I like to just start with some real life topics and see if I can get their their brain going? Do I want to kind of get some chart paper going and have them just kind of list out anything and everything that they could list out that has to do maybe with a rate. Maybe I want to introduce it this way, right? So these are, these are things that are going to drive your discussion. So when you're writing your target, you might say, you know, um, the student will be able to represent the slope as a rate of change. Um, I also saw they can identify the slope in a table or in a graph, right, numerically and graphically. And as you go vertically up the, up the ladder to the AP calculus domain, um, you would know if, if you've ever taught that class that there are four representations we're always looking to assess on, right? Do they know it numerically? Do they know it graphically? Do they know it analytically? And can they express it verbally, right? So these are all things that don't just apply to AP courses. And so we may have to unpack that a little bit more. We may have to flesh some things out. And then, like people said before, when we talk about success criteria, what, how am I going to let my students know and how are they going to know for themselves that they're successful, right? So those are I can statements. Those are I can statements, and we're going get, to get into that a little bit. Um, we want to be able to say, I can calculate a slope when given two points. I can um, calculate the slope of a line uh, when I have a graph present, right? I can calculate the rate of change of two variables um, in a real-life context, So these are just things off the top of my head here that I would consider putting down as success criteria, because then I could sit with a student and say, well, look, you can do this and you can do this, but it looks like you're still struggling to read a graph or it looks like you're struggling to see the pattern in a table. Um, And so these are really, really good ways of you being able to check off certain benchmarks along the way to, to hitting that target. All right, let's talk about clarity, right? That was part of the sub subheading here, right? How clarity drives understanding. So take a look at this. This is a quick little text message image, nothing major, but I just, I like it. I think it's funny because I think it's a great example of um, how things get lost in translation really easily. And we've all had that situation where, you know, Maybe we thought somebody else was picking somebody up or we thought we were meeting at one place and we were really meeting somewhere else, right? So a lot of things get lost in translation. So one of the examples of how we can make clarity, bring clarity to the forefront would be really to have student exemplars available, right? Examples of really, I said great work here on the slide, but really, really solid work that demonstrates that a student can meet benchmarks and they can, they can achieve success criteria, right? So if you have examples like that, then you don't have to sit there and just kind of spew these things out at students and just make them, you know, like hopefully buy into what you're saying. In this case, you could say, well, look, this is a former student of mine. And when they faced slope or systems of equations or trig functions or whatever it might be, this is, this is what they were able to do to navigate that. Here's maybe even a portfolio of, of where they were at the beginning, kind of like you are, Johnny or Susie, right? And this is where they were at the end. So that's a powerful, powerful image because it's not coming from you, right? I mean, yes, you're giving it to them to show them, but like this, you didn't do any of that work, right? And so that could be a super powerful thing. So try to keep as much really solid student work, but then at the same time, look for the work that needs improvement because to be able to pull out some of that, you you might have a student who's kind of like, know two steps up the ladder and they're so close to that third or fourth step or whatever it might be that they're trying to achieve. And you have work from another student that you could say, well, look, this is what that would look like. Okay, you're almost there, but see, do you see how you know we had to attend to precision here and the way we wrote this? Or did you see how like you kind of just you kind of lagged a little bit with the way you you graphed this. So this was a little inaccurate when you did this, right? right? Be able to show them that, I mean that's an instant, oh, okay, I know, I know. And that's that's kind of what we want, right? So different levels of mastery is really important, right? Um, multiple engagements with students. So in other words, think of all the ways that we could formatively assess our students. So simple things, we could do an exit ticket, right? That's, that's a popular thing. Um, I would even suggest, while we're on the topic of, of exit tickets, I personally allow my students to redo um, things like exit tickets, because to me, that's also part of the learning process. Now, what I'll also do is I will not put... A grade on it. I'll put comments. I'll point things out. Um, but I will. I may. I may. Um, I may associate it with a rubric in some situations. But I might not put six out of six or four out of six or whatever. I would, instead, I'm more. I'm more interested in giving them feedback. So that's. Oh, that's only one engagement. Tomorrow through Friday. I'm going to be starting one-on-one conferences with my students. These are, you know, three to five minute sit-downs, just me and the student, just kind of reflecting on where they are and where I think they can go and getting their feedback on what's working and what's not. That's another engagement, right? So engagements don't always have to come through what we think of as traditional assessments, whether it be a test, a quiz, an exit ticket, or something like that. Engagements can come through, you know, a variety of platforms, So Desmos has really, really built their platform now so that the feedback feature um, just continues to grow. And if you haven't gotten a chance to to check that out, you probably want to, right? So am I building, maybe I'm building my own activity or maybe I'm using an activity that I found through Desmos. But maybe I'm really paying attention to that engagement that I'm having while they're performing uh, the activity and while they're going through the slides. Maybe we're having the conversation about, hey, I noticed that you did this. That was a really nice job. You know, you've really come a long way. You're seeing things a lot better now. Or this used to, you know, be a struggle for you, but now I, I really like how you're how you're communicating this, right? So that's another way to engage. Of course, you could embed videos and flip the classroom and have questions where they have to answer, and and again, you are engaging there a little bit, but um, there's not as much relational uh, aspect to it. So, but all these are are ways that you're going to gather more clarity, right? Not only for yourself, but for your students. This is a way for your students every time they engage with you to tweak something, to understand, oh, oh, I was, I thought it was this. I I didn't know I had to say that. Oh, okay. Um, Right now in calculus, right now what we're working on is we're working on how to, how do I verbalize um, when I'm trying to justify an answer, right? It's not good enough to just say because or it, Right, so these are little tweaks that only come through these multiple engagements, right? Where you get to to assess, to give feedback and to kind of champion them you know, on the way. And then one of the things that, that is really, really neat, um, especially when you talk about standards and things of that nature is the idea of co-construction. And so if we want to be clear about what it is that we are asking students to do and where we want them to go, then why not let them have a hand in in what that rubric looks like, or what the determination is, or what the levels look like. So, for instance, we're doing a performance assessment um, on Thursday in my Algebra Two classes, and uh, the assessment's been designed, but I the rubric has not. And so, we're going to walk through it together. And we're like, for instance, one of the problems is uh, right now we're, we're studying quadratics, so uh, we have a a graph of a quadratic function that represents students who are absent um, from school due to the flu. And so it goes up and then it goes down. And so one of the things I'm doing is I'm asking them to, uh, the scenario is the superintendent of schools has asked you to compare the average rates of change for the first four days and the last six days or something like that, right? And he or she would like you to write a memo to parents that, that he or she will look over, that they could then send out via mail, via social media blast that explains where the school is in the flu epidemic and whether or not they should close school or whether or not they should uh, take certain measures or whether or not, you know, it's subsided and, and we're, we're, you know, we're doing okay. So that's just one of the tasks. But one of the things we have to address, the students and I, is, well, what does a good letter look like? How are we going to communicate the math of this? How are we going to tell everyday people who maybe don't think about average rate of change what we're seeing and how we how we found this and how we maybe how we calculated this and so then when they see you know what the expectations are and this would be okay this would be a one this might be a level 2 this would be proficient this would be advanced proficient you could use whatever labels you want right then they could hit the ground running it's very clear You know what we're looking for, and what what a good response is, and what's a mediocre response, and what's a response that needs to be developed more. Right. So really, really look at that. Look at that code construction idea. Um, If you have, like I said, if you have great work or good work that you really could bring out, then then I would do that as you set the rubric and say, well, look, this is this is something that that when I'm grading, I would say is you know beyond proficient or proficient. You know, it meets the bar, it hits the target. It meets the criteria, right? And so that gets them verbalizing what it is exactly we should be putting um, in the rubric. So I think if, if you're not familiar already, I mean, the, you know, one of the preeminent researchers out there on, on learning targets and success criteria is John Hattie. And um, one of the things that he found is that when students have clarity, their rate of learning doubles. And so think about that, right? They're not just passive uh, consumers of information—they're taking ownership and they're taking part in their own learning. And so, yeah, obviously the acceleration is going to is going to be pretty steep there if the student has that kind of um, buy-in. Okay, so think about these kinds of things. Think about how you can, you know, just kind of brainstorm some things. How you can tweak some of them. Um, and I think one of the other things I would leave you with—we'll go to the next slide here—is, and I've I'm guilty of this plenty of times is, you know, our, our delivery as teachers is not always as clear as you think it is. So, um, just kind of be mindful of that. Like sometimes we say things and we think, oh, they got it, you know, but did they really, I guess that's the question. Right. And that's why we're always assessing. Okay. So we talked about how it drives understanding. And so not just student understanding, right. But teacher understanding right now, there's a lot of, uh, um, dialogue about the response time for feedback, you know, does, does very quick response time create more anxiety in students. I mean, I know I've witnessed my students as we've come back, you know, and they've kind of come back out of the the fold of COVID and back into in-person learning and things of that nature. Um, they are, they just, they gravitate towards the portal. They gravitate towards the grading portal. So it's all, is this going in? Is it in, when will it be in? These are the questions that i get all the time so they're almost creating their own anxiety sometimes because they they're so you know they're so into that grade and they're so into what it is that they think they want to achieve because of the number so real-time feedback is important but i w- i'm advocating that the feedback you're giving them is really aligned with the success criteria it's not 19 out of 20 it's hey these are the benchmarks these are the criteria here's what i notice we're trying to get to the point where we can say i can graph a quadratic in various forms or i can graph a i can identify the vertex of a quadratic equation right if they can't do that i want to be able to tell them it looks like you're you're switching your x and your y coordinates so we need to we need to work on that a little bit or it looks like you're confusing the difference between when a parabola opens up and when a parabola opens down me just saying eight out of 10, great job. I mean, I guess that's okay. Um, but it doesn't address you know some of the pitfalls there. So that takes care of the student piece, right? I think for the teacher piece, right? What are we going to do when we realize they can or cannot do whatever it is we want them to do, right? How are we going to supplement that? Are we Do they just need more practice? Is it something as easy as busting out Desmos or Delta Math, right? Do they need somebody else to say it to them do they need to see it from a different perspective con ed puzzle something like that do they need various choices okay maybe they're just not good with just regurgitating information in a test format right maybe they actually would benefit from a real life scenario where they could really apply sometimes people think that that's just harder it's it's more critical but maybe they really need to kind of get into that domain where they could say well I I really enjoy, I work, you know, like I work 20 hours a week. I have students who are 10, 20, 30 hours a week. I think they would understand money if that could be a part of it. I think they would understand profit if I showed them a profit curve as a quadratic instead of a missile launch. Maybe that's just not their thing, right? So how are we going to adjust for those kinds of things? That's where our clarity needs to go, right? Um, A quick quick aside, quick story here. Um, I used to teach with a with a few people, um, and still do with, who are, who are very into coaching. And so, uh, much of their time is spent watching film or obviously at practice. Um, and so the, the problem that, that we would run into, and, and I would just try to be a guide when I could was a lot of these, um, teachers would inherit lesson plans and materials. And so, um, they would just kind of roll those out or they would use those. Problem with that is you're assuming that those are good intentioned, clear, really dynamic um, lessons. And part of the problem is you might be you might be using a lesson that was that's ten years old, and that might not have any really serviceable aspect to it for the kids we walk into today, right? So I think when we we talk about you know lecture, 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 homework, 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 you know, we all know that that's really not the most effective way to communicate math. I think the follow-up question is, you know, what other options do I have? Because if you think that that's the only way to be clear, it's not. It's really not, you know. Um, So I I think we get so hooked on student understanding, but I want you to understand that teacher understanding might be more important, to be honest with you. Our understanding of what it is we need to to fix or adjust is kind of a huge deal. All right, let's let's move on and let's let's actually go back a little bit to uh, the summer and let's talk about the Olympics, right? And actually, we're going to be hitting this again right in a couple months. So, um, if you think about it, I love this I love this analogy because I think this is something that you can share with your students and you could share with your colleagues. We watch the Olympics, and and if you're not into the Olympics, forgive me, but you can really easily translate this to so many different. Um, areas. So maybe maybe you're really into the symphony, right? Maybe you're really into the arts and drama and, and theater, right? The people see on the on the big screen or when we go see a player or when we go to a concert or when we watch athletes in the Olympics, right? They're at the top of their game and what they do. And we forget in the moment, especially the, I'm using Olympics because it only comes around four years, right? Every four years. Think about what they're trying to achieve, right? They want to be able to say I can Run 100 meters in 10 seconds, you know, whatever they're saying. Or I, you know, I can um, swim in 800 meters in whatever time. Okay. But think about that was a four year goal. And think about what they had to do every single day, every week, every month for four years. They had to break that thing down to such specific, intentional, deliberate, non ambiguous criteria because they had to be able to tell when they got off course or they had to be able to tell when what they were doing wasn't working and they needed to change, whether it be their nutrition or whether it be their mental acuity or whether it be their, their physical training, whatever it might be. So what if we took that same approach, right? And with our students, we really looked at it and said, okay, hey, for this lesson, this is it. This is the gold medal right here. Being able to say, I can do this. What is it going to take for us to get there? And as the teacher, what am I going to have to provide for my students so that they have options to say, well, I I think I'm going to take this path, then I'll make a left here. Now, when I do that, that'll tell me if I got here, and then I think I can go here. What is it that we can break down and, and really not make that four year goal or that lesson or that unit goal seem so out of reach? And we can just focus on these these little, little baby steps, right? Because that's where the work is done. And so think about that, right? How can I, and again, if, if you're into the symphony or you're, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're into acting, right? It's so easy to say the same thing. I mean, so easy to say the same thing. I want to be on Broadway. That's a great goal. It's not specific. I want to be in a musical. Okay. That's better. Right. I want to be in a musical on Broadway. Um, in a supporting role. All right. Well, now we're really, really being specific, right? How are you going to do that? Oh, I need to take acting lessons. I need to take voice lessons. Okay. How are you going to do that? I need to go find a vocal coach. How often are you going to do it? So think about all these things that you can do right from that one goal. And I think that's that's really, um, that's 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 the way to do it. Now, all of this whole presentation really comes back to taking something larger and just breaking it down into into smaller parts. Uh, let's go to this next slide here. Okay, so uh, let's let's look at this here. Um, we're going to get in the chat here one more time, right? And I want you to look at, um, this is just kind of like, you know, an algebra one idea, right? I think this is a little bit better idea of how you could take that bigger goal, right? I can graph absolute value functions. Maybe for some of you, this is an algebra two topic as well, right? Okay, that's great. But it, how am I going to do that, right? Okay, well, I will first be able to identify and plot the vertex. So when you give me the equation of an absolute value function, the very first thing I want to be able to do is, do I know where that vertex is? Can I identify it, right? Can I determine, do I know how to determine if this absolute value function opens up or down, right? And then how will I go about plotting the rest of this thing so that I can get a nice little V look to it? right? And so the only thing here is there's no mention of how they're going to learn it. And that's where I turn it over to you, right? Because that's your job. Do you want them to experiment with some sliders on Desmos? Do you want them to use the graphing calculator? Do you want want them to correct a student error to try and figure out what it is that they really have to do, right? So don't just tell them how to do it, right? Give them some options on how they're going to learn it and then really try and take stock of what is working and for who it's working for. So that's it. that's the relatively basic one, right? Algebra one. Let's go a little bit more difficult here and let's do pre-calc. And so let's suppose we were applying trigonometric functions, right? So this is a little bit more of a loaded target. I can interpret and imply attributes of a periodic function across a variety of real-life scenarios. That's a lot, right? So what I need to do is I need to give them benchmarks, right? Very first thing we need to be able to do, um, and this is, this is again, we're, we're making an assumption here, right? So if I were to roll this learning target out, we would have already talked about my class the aspects of a periodic function, perhaps, so you might not need that first bullet, okay? But maybe you haven't. So maybe the first thing we have to do is talk about a periodic function and why certain things are periodic. And maybe we have to lay out certain data that's linear and exponential and periodic, and we have to say, you know, well, what what makes this do what it's doing, right? Okay, well, then how do I use these attributes? So if I talk about the amplitude or if I talk about the frequency or if I talk about the midline, right, how do those attributes translate into real-life scenarios? And how again, how am I going to do... Roll this out. So this one's much more difficult, right? It engages the learner if you think about it. Right away, it engages them because it really gets them thinking about, oh, oh we might talk about real life scenarios. So this might actually, I might care about this, right? But it still leaves the door open to what the scenarios are going to be. Are we going to talk about a Ferris wheel? Are we going to talk about train going around a track? Are we going to talk about temperature, sunrise, sunset? Um, you know, are we going to talk about buoy bobbing up and forth? Are we going to talk about um, the thermostat in my house? I mean, what are we going to? do to talk about these periodic functions, right? So I think when you're looking at your success criteria, make sure that you really hone in on those. Those are going to be, they need to be clear. They need to be the most important thing, especially when you're dealing with super complex um, topics. All right. So putting it all together here as we go, and we'll get ready to open it up for questions here. I want you to think about as you, as you kind of just think about your students, if you, if you are in the classroom right now, or if you're maybe you're a, more of a leader in a coach role or an administrator and you're, you're going into a bunch of classrooms, right? Um, I always like to ask this question, especially at the end of talks like this, right? What percentage of your students, and, and catch this, what percentage of your students have the misconception that they're bad at math. Cause I have, I have 21 of them right now in algebra one um, that are taking algebra one and have basically been for, I mean, i probably not the best way to say it, but they've be- basically been kind of left for nothing. You know, it meaning we tried to teach them algebra one in middle school. They didn't really respond. So they're going to have to take it in high school or maybe they had aspects of it in middle school, but don't expect much. Right these kinds of things. So, so right away in the first week of school, I knew that I had a bunch of students who had this miss, and I'm going to use the word misconception that they were bad at math. And mainly it was because they had to, they had to play school or they were deemed not good at algebra one. So in other words, if you couldn't do well on this quiz on Friday, it is what it is. We're moving to the next thing. So there were no learning targets. There was no success criteria there was no benchmark. There was no reassessment. There was no way for them to say, well, I didn't know it on Monday, but I know it Wednesday. And because I've done this or because I've looked at this a different way, I know it now. Could I demonstrate that to you, please? And so once you open the door for that, you know, if you have 70, like I might have 70% of that, those 21 kids might have that misconception that they're bad at math. I don't want that. I want that down to 25% or ideally zero, right? And the learning targets are what's going to give them the path to success, in my opinion. That provides the blueprint, right? And you as the teacher, the administrator, the colleague, you can have these conversations and maybe it's time like we are doing at my school to really say, look at, I know it's maybe a little controversial. I know it's gonna be extremely difficult, but maybe we really need to look at our grading policy. Maybe we really, really need to look at that and say, well, who benefits from that? Who benefits from 19 out of 30? The student really? or the teacher who can just move on from that assessment and just get to the next one, right? So never underestimate the, the experience that you're giving your students and the power that you have to shape their experience. And again, where does it come back to? I think it all comes back to designing awesome targets and benchmarks that, that give them hope, that give them promise, and that keep them motivated and engaged. Um, because let's say if we do it right, Hopefully, if we do it right, next year will look different than this year. Hopefully better. Five years from now, we'll look way better than this year, right? And so I don't have any shame in that. I don't have any shame in the fact that my classroom 20 years ago was not anywhere close to what it is now. That's just part of the the gig, right? So never underestimate that. And I think that's what I'd leave you with today um, as we wrap it up. So happy to take questions.
0: I saw um, one question um, that I put into the presenter chat for you. Um, and actually, oh, okay. actually, if you click on the Q&A, you'll see both questions are from um, Andrew.
1: Okay. So let's go to my questions here. Okay. Curious about the drain size of your learning targets. Do you find more success in lesson level targets? So Andrew's question is, curious curious about the, the grain size of your learning targets. Do you find more success in lesson level targets or unit level targets? And Andrew, my, my answer is in lesson level targets um, personally. So how do we, and then for the follow up, right? How do we reinforce that learning target and success criteria are primarily for students. And and Andrew, I'm guessing that you're saying how do I reinforce to the students that that's why we have them? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you mean by that. Um, and and the reinforcement comes from the progress. That would be my answer to that question. So at first, day one, day five, week three, right? My students are, I'm trying to get them to buy in just as you would you know, th- get them to buy into anything. I'm trying to get them to buy to get away from being focused on the number and the grade and being focused on the success criteria. And then to hear them say, oh, I I know I can do this when they come in for help. I can do this. This is what I'm struggling on. Got them. You know, we're done. Because I already know now if you come to me and you say, I can do this, this is what I need help with. I know that you're understanding, right, the value of them. And that is the reinforcement. I can praise that and say, yeah, this is great. Okay. So you're really making progress. Let's let's help you out with that next one. Right. And that's why, again, I go back to that question of lesson level for me. Unit level gets a little bit too murky for students. I mean, it's hard to ask a student to have their eye on this massive goal for unit two or three. But when we piecemeal it a little bit, I think I think we have more success.
0: Okay. Um, and then I think it's a related question also that Andrew said, um, you know, in what ways do you reinforce that learning targets and success criteria primarily right. for students? Yeah. So I, I think you actually answered that yeah. one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's
1: okay. Yeah. I think he, I think he meant really like reinforce it for the students. Right. So. Right.
0: right. Um, sure. so I, I have a question, um, you know, I, in terms of, sure. uh, you know, sharing, sharing, the learning targets with the students ahead of time, I almost sometimes feel like that's a spoiler alert. Um, you know, like if I want them to discover something and kind of like construct some understanding for themselves, I don't want them mm. to see what the learning target is ahead of time um, right. because I want them yeah. yep. trying to figure out that for, you know, so how do you, how do you balance that? I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, like you said, Lee, I mean, I think for me, it's, it, it's a, it really depends on what we're doing. Right. So if I really want them to discover it, so um, I'm going to go back to that idea of co-construction. Right. So I'm, I'm going to withhold it. We're not going to do anything formal. Um, in fact, I'm thinking of, to be honest with you, when we were working with some transformations in my algebra class. Right. Um, I, I've, I mean, I rolled up on that day and I um, I had put together like a Desmos discovery uh, no, I wouldn't say an activity builder. It was just more of like a graph with some sliders and things like that. Um, and all I did was gave them a kind of an accompanying sheet, right. To go with this, with this activity. And I was like, I just want you to write what you see, tell me what you notice. Right. And let, and we're going to, we'll hash it out after you're done 15 or 20 minutes later. And so after they did that, then I could start to ask them questions about, well, where do you think we're going with this? Why do you think we want to know this? How could this be helpful? And then we kind of built into that formal um, learning target or, or even like, okay, how are we going to know that we're successful, right? So I agree with you. If it's something where it's, it's just so rich in discovery, there's no way they're going to see that sentence um, before we do that stuff, you know? Yep. And mm-hmm. I would also add just to, one more thing too. I would also add that on all of my assessments, all of the success criteria and learning targets appear so that we can kind of check them off, whether or not they're there or not, you know? So all any, whether it be a, a quiz, a test, a performance task, a, a, an exit ticket, assumative assessment, whatever it might be like, it, it, they are always there and they're always sectioned off. So they know, hey, this section, this is what we're assessing. This is what we're trying to get a gauge on. All
0: right. Uh, let's see if I see any other questions. Um, yeah. I. There was one person that asked about um, like a copy of the handouts, um, you know, like a a PDF, I guess. Um, And I put that in the handouts tab. Um, Cool. So people, so if anybody wants a copy of the handouts, if you click on the handouts tab at the top of the chat. You can, um, you know, download uh, a copy of uh, the presentation here for yourself. If that might be helpful to you. All right. Um, I don't think I see any other questions. So thank you very much. You have for-
1: tired crowd tonight. I get it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think so. It's, it's, it's like right before Thanksgiving, like that final push, you know, and it's like it, you the said, final for many push. people, the end of for many people, the end of like a marking period and that sort of thing, it, it can be a little bit rough. So, uh, but we thank you for, for being here, uh, tonight and, and sharing with us. Um, And uh, we are uh, having our next session in two weeks. So our sessions are um, every uh, two weeks. And in two weeks, we're going to be hearing from Amy Beth Prager on her STEM education journey, uh, featuring the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in STEM. So that is it, everyone. Thank you so much and have a wonderful evening.